Hello and welcome to this week's Mouth of the Tyne podcast uh, with me, Liam Kennedy, uh, and Newcastle United writers, uh, Miles Starforth and Jordan Cronin. Takeover talk continues to dominate the landscape on Tyneside, but not a lot's really been happening in, in terms of genuine updates. Uh, it's a case for everybody that we're all playing the waiting game, we're all Newcastle United fans, as all of you out there are too. Um, it's a difficult time for everybody. Um, everyone's panicking because it hasn't been done last week. They'll probably be panicking if it isn't done this week, but essentially there isn't really any kind of strict deadline put on these things by the Premier League. It's something that takes as long as it takes, really. Um, there hasn't been any uh, negative noises coming from the people that I speak to in particular, which doesn't suggest that it's off. And I know um, Twitter and social media be, can become quite toxic in a lot of ways um, on this subject, but it's just a case of everyone's going to have to get their head down and, and try and forget about it a little bit, uh, get through this. Um, patience, patience is a virtue, essentially. Um, the Premier League, I think one thing's got to be remembered on the Newcastle United uh, takeover is that the Premier League have got a lot on their plate at the moment. Um, they said two to four weeks, but obviously, as we'll come on to later in this podcast, um, we're, we've got, uh, we're talking about Project Restart, um, there's all of that going on, um, and that's no small project by any means, which we'll come on to later. Um, but we'll discuss that, we'll talk a little bit about um, the owners and directors, revamp that story from the daily mail yesterday our thoughts on that uh, our thoughts on project restart and we'll also be joined uh, later on in the podcast um, by another guest this week we've got sky sports news editor lyle thomas on and um, he's a regular on the sports uh, on the spurs beat um, and we'll be talking to him a little bit about Maurizio pochettino his thoughts on it given that sky sports were the people who broke the 19 million pound a season story from last week so i'll come to you first miles Takeover, owners and directors, what's your thoughts on all of this position we're at at the moment? Well, as you said, we've we've got to wait, really. The indications were just you know just over a week or so ago that we, we, we were kind of very close to a conclusion. Um, of course, the, the, the issue seems to be more the BN Sports objection rather than the, that from Amnesty International. Uh, and it, and it's, as we've touched on before, it, it, it's a political, it's a geopolitical kind of you know, issue for the Premier League to kind of grapple with. I think, uh, as we've again, as, as we've said before, before the most significant thing is the government isn't objecting to it. Um, Saudi Arabia, whose uh, sovereign wealth fund, uh, public investment fund, uh, the, the well, its proposal is for them to own eighty percent of the club. Um, well, Saudi Arabia is an ally of this government. Um, uh, this, you know, this country exports arms there. Uh, so, that, so that's that's significant, and again, as, as as we'll touch on in a minute, it comes down to the to the kind of, I guess the wording of this test, uh, which I guess is historically vetted individuals rather than state sovereign wealth funds. Um, obviously, there are all kinds of issues around Saudi Arabia. Obviously, in terms of the BN Sports objection, it's around piracy, uh, which is the prem been an issue for the Premier League uh, lit- litigations proved difficult in the past. Um, BN Sports has, has the rights to, to broadcast Premier League games in that territory, yet that they're blocked and the only way you can actually view Premier League games is illegally, which is which is a which is a significant issue. Um, 
I'd imagine there'll be conversations at very high levels going on about this, and it could actually bring Saudi Arabia to the table in terms of the next round of bidding, which would be, uh, I guess, welcomed by the Premier League, given the, the kind of sums we're, we're, we've seen over the years for, for those rights. We had football finance expert Keir Maguire on the show last week, um, and his very basic take on this own indirectness test and the wording of it so far, given that it's so ambiguous in a lot of ways, was that, are you a criminal? No. Do you have the money or have you been involved in any bankruptcy previously? No. Well, there you are. You passed the test. And I think that's something that was touched upon uh, in the Daily Mail yesterday, that the loose nature of the wording of these rules um, potentially could cause pro- has caused an issue for the Premier League when there has been so much criticism um, around this issue. Again, you said the piracy um, is something that I think, from a, from a layman, layman's terms, uh, from, from just a fan's perspective, really, it sounds like it could be something that could be brushed over quite easily. Like you said, the Saudis could come to the table with more money. But also, we've seen reports last week of, of reports sent across to America. Premier League made objections to all kinds of things, um, investigations uh, in the US. And it was actually quite uh, complimentary of the way that Saudi Arabia has tackled these issues in some ways. Um, and I think an easy way to get around this would be just to suggest that they will do even more of that. They'll get more of a hold on that in this country. And you would think that would be something that could be brushed over. But given the the scale of the, the issue, that it is something that the Premier League can't be seen just to be brushing over. They've got to really sort of make sure everything in terms of uh, comebacks from other parties is legally watertight and that kind of thing. Um, um, Miles, I don't know if you've got something to say on that. Yeah, and, and I guess at least part of this comes down to the optics and the Premier League has got this process. It's got to go through the process. It's also got to be seen to be going through this process thoroughly. Uh, obviously, as, as, you've, as you've said, there's, there's bigger issues for the league at the minute to, to address too. Um, but the, yeah, the, the optics are important. Um, it's got to somehow plot a way through this uh, without alienating being sports uh, and uh, and others. Um, but the, the 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 wording of these rules get, gives it the leeway to to approve this bid because you know as you mentioned what uh, the conversation with Kieran you know the, the key players and he haven't haven't been convicted of, of any offence so and the, the the vagueness of these rules um, you know. You would imagine would would allow this this to go through as as we, we've kind of expected it to to go through really. To me, it's going to hinge essentially on the links made beyond the directors. So the people put forward in this takeover process, you would imagine by the parties wanting to buy the football club will not have will not bring up any red flags with regards to the wording of this test. And that you can imagine that would be uh, legally watertight, obviously without being party to those conversations. Um, I can't say for certain, but you would imagine that would be the case given that this takeover has been at least 18 months in the making. Um, beyond that, though, is the problem. So PIF um, is basically run by Mohammed bin Salman. Um, and Can uh, piracy issues be connected back to PIF or him? Or does the fact that it's his money, even though he will not be a director at the Premier League Football Club, does that make a difference? I think that is potentially where the Premier League have found themselves tripping up over their own rules. 
um, and probably cannot make a stand in many ways where they may well like to. Um, Jordan, what, where do you feel, what do you feel about this process so far? Is it a case of keep calm and carry on or, or are you kind of feeling the, the pressure as many people out there are as well? Yeah, well, obviously, we, we, we spoke out the, the Daily Mail report there, and, and they mentioned that the, the takeover could be, you know, uh, delayed until next week. So, although matters look a bit more complicated due to the uh, the being sports complaint, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay positive. Um, I, I looked in the Daily Mail Daily Mail report in a sort of positive light. Really, um, it states that the, the owners and directors Testel, uh, you know, they revamped after the Newcastle takeover, which you know suggests to me that there's perhaps a desire to block it, but. You know they can't find any uh, legal ground to do so, um. So you know it's it's, it's a long and tiring process really, um. But you have to respect the issues being raised, obviously from um international as well, um. But you know I'm personally still hopeful that it'll go through, um. And at the moment it that still seems possible. So, um. We've had 13 years of Mike Ashley, so I'm sure I know that um <laughs> a week or two well shouldn't hurt. We talk about time scales and we've talked a lot about the takeover, um, and we've come on to developments on player fronts and managerial fronts when we speak to Lyle Thomas uh, later on in the, in the show. But I want to talk a little bit about um, this idea of project restart. Um, the Premier League have drawn up, essentially. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a topic which has brought some strong opinions online. I'm sure you guys have got your opinions on it. I just think it's tinfoil hat time with the Premier League in some ways. I get that they really want this to restart, but there's so many... Uh, issues that could crop up. There's so many variables in this process. To me, it almost seems it's just impossible to get to that point where you could imagine that 10 football matches would take place, never mind the 90-odd that have to take place um, over the course of maybe a month. I can't imagine that somebody wouldn't test positive for this. Um, We know, just from loose figures, um, that, that this this disease has been widespread. This virus, sorry, has been widespread in this country for quite some time. It's difficult to imagine, even though it's on a decline, how you could keep that out of uh, these sort of bubbles, Premier League bubbles, where the, the players may have to be taken away from their families and this kind of thing. To me, it just seems there's too many variables to imagine the Premier League will play, but it seems like they're going to press ahead. Yeah, I, I'm kind of conflicted about this. I think if we don't know where we're going to be in a month and a half, which would be the kind of restart date for games. Obviously, in the meantime, they've got to be training, which is going to be stepped up. Um, if it's safe to play football behind closed doors in, in a month and a half's time, then I'd, I'd, I'd be for it. But that's a, that's a, that's a big if. Um, we all want to be in the stadiums. The fans want to be there. That's That obviously can't happen. It would be a very strange spectacle. Um, but... Again, going back to the Saudi thing, what also significant is what Dominic Raab said this week. The, the government seems to be behind this. They believe it would, in his words, lift the spirits, um, having Premier League football back. And it, and it would be a step towards normality, even if their teams are playing in empty stadiums. Uh, um, I guess what jars with me is that, is that the real motivation for this is money. It's a financial one. Um, you know, we all want normality back. We want football back. But is that is that actually the, the primary motivation of the Premier League to save themselves the best part of a, a, a billion pounds? Um, but, you know, there's detailed plans being drawn up from, from kind of medi- the medical side of things. Uh, and, and if there's 
plans that can be put in place. And if we are in a place in a month or, or so time where, where it is possible, we hope that the numbers will continue to decline. People will continue to follow the government guidelines and social distancing and so on. Um, that we could have football, then then great, because I think we all need something to look forward to, even if it is a, a, a rather different spectacle. I think it'd be interesting to, to see the reaction of some of the players. There has been some little noises uh, recently about players not wanting to come back. In some ways, until there is, I see Manuel Lanzini was talking about, until there is a vaccine, there is no guarantee at all. Despite the fact that all the world's greatest minds in this field are pushing for one cause, which probably has never happened before. Do you think the chances of getting a vaccine are more likely than uh, have been for other uh, issues and uh, viruses, diseases? But there is no guarantee that will happen. You can't you can't put life off indefinitely in that sense. But the mindset of certain players is it all. Oh, I, I just I just can't imagine that it's going to be the same. So obviously the fitness thing's an issue. Um, the mentality is an issue. The fan thing's an issue. I mean, to me, it's just it is bizarre. You've seen a lot of a lot of leagues. There's almost been a little domino effect that started in Belgium, went to Holland, then to France. The league's been called off. I kind of, to me, I want football back as much as you, Miles, and probably you, Jordan, and everyone else out there. But for me, I just think I think it is madness. I think it is tinfoil tinfoil hat time. I think these people genuinely, I can't see how football can come back as we know it, um, or even remotely like as we know it, even in closed stadiums, when you may need doctors, you may need X amount of staff, who all will have to be tested rigorously on virtually on a daily basis, I would imagine, um, to get this even off the ground, then to maintain that over the course of potentially 30 days. The, the, the scale of this is incredible, and it's not something I can imagine can be done potentially in the next month to six weeks, but they're going to have a go, and I, I really do... I hope it happens and I hope it comes off because not only from a professional perspective, it gives us something fresh to talk about, but mentally this will be affecting a lot of people. Um, the virus is, is the is the biggest killer in the country at the moment, but mentally, I know, I know this is football is life for a lot of people. I see a lot of people saying football is not important. It is important to a lot of people and it does matter. Um, it isn't life or death, but... It's a routine. It's it's something to look forward to. Some some people live for that on a Saturday. So to, to even just hope that that can come back will keep people going and give a glimmer of light to people. And I get, I really do get the mentality behind that. Yeah. Well, it just it just imagine if it if it if it was possible in just over a month to 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 be sat at home watching football, reporting about football. Um, but it, it's a huge if. There's a, there's, as you've said, there's, there's, there's so many hurdles to, to overcome. We'll, we'll have to see what the proposals are, how they intend to do this. Also, of course, there's one or two countries that are slightly ahead of us in this kind of um, process, uh, and there'll be a learning curve there, seeing, seeing how, how, how they progress. Germany, we've, we've seen a, 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 a ahead of us in terms of planning for a restart. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted. If, it, if it's safe to do so, then then why not but that's a huge that's a huge if if it's the the health is uh, uh, of everyone of the nation is is more important um you know we've seen 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 this week the nightingale hospital hospital mothballed um if the if if we are in a place in a month or two's time where there are, are enough medical staff able to deal with this then then no uh, then then great but 
big uh, big if. I think uh, I think both years have you know have covered the topics there perfectly there really. I just think going back to the to the player stuff. Obviously you've had you've had Manuel uh, Lanzini and even Sergio Aguero over the last few weeks as well. Um, saying that you know that they're a bit perhaps frightened of coming back. So will it be a case that if if this um, if the league does proceed on June thirteenth, which I think has been mentioned as this project restart, will players sort of rebel against you know coming back and then. Obviously, that causes problems for clubs or they want to play without the, the best players. So, um, for me, I, I think June 13th, if, if, they say, if it's safe to do so, I, I can't see how it will be um, safe to do so that, uh, by that point. Um, and obviously, it will be behind closed doors, which, again, I'd be in favour for um, if, if it was safe to do so. Um, but, again, you, you go back to the, to the fan issue. Football is nothing about fans really, and, and for a, for players behind closed doors, how do you how do you get yourself up for games that are without fans? So there's a lot of a lot of issues around it. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll be completely in favour if, if football can restart next month, but I think at the minute it's a very ambitious um, target. Well, that's that's the thing though. In, in terms of behind closed doors, it, it, looking to, to to next season, it's something we're going to have to get used to because I can't see. And, and certainly this year, and it were even until we get a vaccine, fans being allowed back inside stadiums. Um, so you can talk about this stadium. You know, of course, football's football's not the same. It's it's nothing without fans. But we've we've got to get our heads around. That's going to be the way forward, certainly for a few months. And and we're not talking just about this season. Uh, we'll be talking about certainly the first part of our next season as well. And of course, against the context of the takeover, you know, of this club potentially, or um, going ahead, and it could be many, many months before there's a, there's a fans back inside St James's Park, which is an extraordinary situation. The, the club's been taken over. It's something this city's been waiting waiting for for, for you know for, for ten or ten or so years. Yet Newcastle United were playing in empty stadiums for the foreseeable future. So it, you know, it, it's hard to kind of get your head around the, the the various issues which have been kind of wrestled with by by all manner of people at the minute. It's interesting um, on this debate. Obviously, football as given that it might only be four to six weeks when they're talking about return, we'll have to get back training. Um, I had a confirmed to me this week that uh, Valentino Lazaro flew in on a prior flight from Milan earlier this week um, to come back in readiness for for training. Uh, at Cassie United. Um, it had been reported that it might be uh, at the end of this week. I'm not sure if you've got any information on that, Miles. It may well be pushed back to next week. Is that, that was suggested in Craig's piece? Yeah, I think that the, the, there has been um, suggestions it would, it, it would be this week, but uh, we're looking at next week uh, at, at the earliest now. And on that, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to think that the players will be back in any, any kind of shape, even though they'll have their strict uh, routines and plans um, but still football fitness is very different to, to normal fitness as I'll know being the supreme athlete um, <laughs> it's not going to come in there Miles but no I'm just saying it would probably be the football be even more of a spectacle potentially given we're seeing players that haven't kicked the ball you know or, or done done the kind of stuff they've been doing all their lives really It'll, it, it's just fascinating to, to, to imagine what if it does return June, July, whenever, what what we're actually going to see? Because um, it, you know, as you're right, it won't be what we're we're used to in this country or or, or anywhere else for that matter. 
strange, isn't it? Because it could, could almost be a leveler for teams, <laughs> like a real leveler. Because well, that's that's kind of almost what what, what was getting at. Because Manchester City won't be the, the Manchester City of of just a few months ago, nor will Liverpool. Um, but what can a what can a state or level will Newcastle United and the other teams in the middle of the table? But we just we just don't know. Cassie United start season traditionally well, though, don't they? So we'll, we'll be all right with that little nine-game mini-season. Well, I think uh, we've got a we've got a guest on uh, now. It's, it's I like to introduce um, a good friend of mine, uh, Lyle Thomas. Uh, he's editor at uh, Sky Sports News, uh, a regular on the Tottenham Hotspur beat, and he's on this week to have a little chat uh, around the report that were broken by Sky Sports News last week with regards to Maurizio Pochettino that £90 million per season deal and a potential move to Newcastle United post-Saudi takeover. Hi, Lylan. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, welcome to the Mouth of the Time podcast. Um, You're on the Spurs beat, Sky Sports News. You guys, uh, through Pete Graves, Keith Downey, you guys broke the um, Pochettino Newcastle story last week. Um, I don't know if you can give any detail about that and what you think um, whether you think it potentially could happen um, and what details you guys down there know about um, the talks that might have taken place. Well, we understand it down here um, that he is the prospective new owners um, of Newcastle's first choice to take over um, as manager if, if their deal to take over all goes through and everything um, from the next season. And um, I think he's a logical first choice probably for any um, new ownership of any club, um, given what he's done in the, both the Premier League and in Europe with Tottenham, and you know, the, the caliber of the the coach and the manager and the and the man that he is, um, he would be the logical person to look to. Um, also, for the fact that he's obviously available, he's unattached at a club and and obviously looking for his next move, and um, has a bit of a track record of liking to build a build a team in his image um so yeah we understand he's the first choice um and that he's also interested in speaking to them whether any discussions have taken place already um we don't know this stage but um i think for him um the prospective amount of money would be attractive um obviously both for him on a personal level and also the amount of investment that that that, um, could potentially be made in the squad and in the club for a long time and a long period and um and the ability that he would have in the in the transfer market um potentially to build a team in his image so i think he would want some assurances first though obviously to to make sure he could have as much control over over transfers that he 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 would want i think that became an issue at spurs um he was very vocal about it towards the end of his time there um there was obviously that um that that, that press conference that he held in the preseason um, last summer where he reflected that perhaps he should have his title changed back from manager to head coach, which was a kind of a window into his frustrations there. So I think that would be a key issue for him. And obviously, you know, who would be running the day-to-day at Newcastle, who, who he, he would be working with closely and, um, you know, whether that's recruitment staff and and, and, and the, uh, the the technical aspects of the of the club, but also the, the um, all the other sides of the club at the same same time. So, I think it's a possibility, um, but obviously we need to, to a few other things to happen before that. Um, obviously, with the, the ongoing crisis with um, coronavirus and when football could be back on, is obviously holding up a lot of things. I think a lot of business decisions that are wanting to be made or were wanting to be made across football before. Um, so there's that, and also um, 
whether this whether this takeover is ratified or not. Was that the main the crux of the issues that he had in the final days at, at Spurs? Was it was it transfer based? Was it that he didn't feel like he was given the tools to do the job that he wanted to do to take Spurs on that next level? Because if you look look at his record there up until last season, Champions League final, and probably should have won the league the year that Leicester won it, could have won it the year after. He did a fantastic mm. job with the resources that he had, really. Which I think he feel mm. he felt like almost he he wasn't backed enough by the likes of Levy and, and the money makers and uh, decision makers at Tottenham. I think that's um, that's an aspect of it. That's an element of it. But um, I think it was quite a complex situation. It became a very complex situation um, towards the end, even before the final. Um, you know, obviously he was saying things like if they won the final that he, he could walk away and that kind of thing. And I think the run to the to the to the Champions League final was sort of glossed over a few cracks that had already appeared, um, I think, um, with him and his relationships within the club um over a over a period of time. Um I mean the first thing to say is he's I think he's quite an emotional guy. Um, you know, I think he, he really feels a lot of passion and emotion for what he's doing for his work and for those around him. And, um that obviously rubs off well on players um and you know but the, i think these things always have a natural cycle to them especially when there's um yeah when there's a lot of emotion involved and when the emotion turns from positive to, to negative it can be hard to claw that back so i think that, that 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 is a huge aspect of it at the same time that you know frustrations had built up over time and uh, it, it got to a point really where um it looked hard to to to, to claw things back and resurrect things, but I mean, going back to your question about um, about transfers and, and things like that, it was obviously clear that he was frustrated at um, at, at not having um, the amount of influence over which players Tottenham could or would bring in. Um, I think that was quite clear, and he was very vocal about that. Um, and I think that had reflected really in 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 the style of play that um, that Tottenham were were um, were playing under um, towards the end. You know, he's known for wanting to play a very, or, or at least previously, a very aggressive pressing style that obviously needs a lot of, um, needs younger, hungrier players who've got, you know, huge energy levels to be able to implement and, and implement right across um, right across the whole season. So what had happened at Tottenham is I think that the, the, the team had aged um, more than he may have liked and therefore they weren't able to implement that pressing and the high press and the aggressive style that he wanted so they they slowed down a bit and they were more careful and more methodical um, and I think that, that you know rubbed off negatively in some of their performances as well and was one of the reasons why their league form declined last year as well as at the beginning of this year um, as well so yeah I mean going back to, to, to your question is I think it was a very complex situation and really it was it was the best decision for everyone, um, both the club and for him and the players, for really for them to part ways at that point. I think it had got, got past the point of no return. With that in mind, do you almost feel like Pochettino might have unfinished business in the Premier League because of the way it did end at Spurs? And or do you mm. feel like he might he might have sort of set his eyes on on a more continental job? Obviously, he's got links as a player going back to PSG, and um, there's been a lot of talk of him potentially ending up in Spain. Do you think he's got unfinished business? Yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely true. He obviously wants to win the Premier League title. I think he wanted that um, from from very very early on at Tottenham when he realised actually the, um, the, the the quickness of his success and um, 
and how he'd got the team performing and pushing towards a league title very quickly. I mean, they were they were competing for it in the year that Leicester um, won it, weren't they? Which was 2016, I think. And um, uh, obviously only two two seasons into him being at Tottenham a lot sooner than they'd planned for them to be competing at that level. Um, and I think his hunger really for the top trophy started there and, and, and never subsided from that point. Um, you know, I think he, there were times where the way he was speaking um, would suggest he was yeah, less bothered, shall we say, or, or perhaps overlooking things like the FA Cup and, the, and especially the League Cup um, and was really keen to get Tottenham um, competing for the Premier League and the, and the Champions League very quickly. But so for sure there's unfinished business in the Premier League. But I also think he's, he's still very young. Obviously, in his in his forties, and he's still got you know many years of management ahead of him. So potentially, he could go somewhere in Europe now and stay there for ten years, and and still be young enough to come back to the UK um, and again and compete for that Premier League title. I mean, I think he was he was on um, he was interviewed recently, wasn't he, and talking about one day wanting to come back to Tottenham and uh, and win a trophy with Tottenham. So it's clear that that hunger um, for, for for managing in, in the Premier League and in England is still still there. Just uh, when that will be is another matter. I think, um, I mean, his stock is incredibly high at the moment because of what he's achieved, you know, that taking a team like Spurs to the Champions League final, even though he, he hasn't technically um, won any trophies, I think he has got admirers at, at, at most of, if not all the big clubs in Europe. And, um, you know, once once um, coronavirus is out of the way and we know when we can go back to playing football, um, you know, he, he's an attractive prospect for any club who, uh, who wants to kind of build the next... Um, the next phase in the next five to ten years, so I think he will he will go where where the best project is for him, and the most uh, the most likeliness that there is of competing for the top trophy straight away. Um, so I think you know hypothetically, if he was to end up at, at Newcastle next, I think he would want to um, he would want to have some assurances um, that he would be back to try and get Newcastle competing for trophies as quickly as possible, rather than say, setting out a three- to five-year plan for that to happen, I think he would be hungry to do it as quickly as possible. It's all about that. That's kind of my feeling on it as well, that he's almost earned his stripes. He's done He's done the job of building a project, taking a club um, to the very top without winning something. And I don't... The doubt I always have about this Pochettino link is that exactly, is would he want to dive into a project like that again? Or has he earned his stripes? And can he just walk into a job at a top club, already in the Champions League, already winning trophies, but maybe just require a change of face at the top. And to me, that's that's where Pochettino almost, he, he could walk into a lot of jobs, like you said, his, his stock is remarkably high. So a project to him, you, you've talked about an emotion he gets involved, that ticks a box with Newcastle United. He definitely would have a, a positive relationship with fans who are, who've been starved of that until Rafa Benitez recently. Um, he would also tick the box in terms of the style of play, um, but he would have to build because this team at the moment is a team built nowhere near competing for the trophies, nowhere near competing for Europe even. There's probably only got three or four players who would who probably declare as top half players. So it kind of points to me that, that he might have, find it difficult to, to walk into Newcastle as his next job. I, th- I can see that. Um, I mean, one of the issues that's always been reflected to me um, in my, you know, transfer investigations and, and just talking to, to, to agents and, and, and players and um, 
and and people at the clubs, not just Newcastle, but but the other clubs in the northeast, is the is the obviously the difficulty of attracting you know big names and big talent up to that part of um, part of the country. Um, obviously, from from more than just a football side, but just a general sort of you know living side. Obviously, London has um, unfortunately has is, is is probably the most attractive place for for a lot of um, you know a lot of foreign managers and foreign players coming in. Um, so there's that side of it as well. You know. That, I think he would want assurances that he could bring in the kinds of players that he wants, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the biggest and obvious names around there. I think, um, you know, Pochettino has shown that uh, he can, he can do great things with, with, um, with players who are not necessarily, uh, you know, established stars. I think actually he's, um, you know, working with established stars is not his forte. I think his forte is working with younger, hungrier players who are on the way up, who are, Still trying to prove themselves in the game and um, and trying to become those those top top level players and actually you know utilizing their strengths um, you know throughout that that kind of growth stage in a player is actually when he can get the most out of them for his style of play you know going back to what I said before about that kind of aggressive pressing style and the incredibly high energy levels that he demands from his players. Um, you know that 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 not only demands high energy levels but it demand, demands a high level of commitment. From players to his cause, and and I think younger players who are still being moulded um, are, are more likely to really um, hang on to his every word and listen to everything that he says, and really uh, adopt the style uh, and and the, the demands that he has of players. Um, whereas I think naturally, when players move into more established parts of their careers, um, you know, it becomes a little bit more difficult to do that. So. Um, so yeah, that's why I could see him potentially, you know, moving to, to, to more of a club where he can build what he wants to, rather than walking into say a Real Madrid or a PSG, which is obviously a huge um, institution, and and there are people and ways of working there that are pretty immovable, and 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 you really have to adjust to the way they work rather than the other way around. So yeah, it, I think it will be very interesting to see where Pochettino end, ends up next, and I think it will it will speak volumes of um of him. Um, whatever his decision is. Talk about transfers and talk about players uh, potentially linked. I've seen there's Philip Coutinho recently. There's been a lot of big names um, already thrown in with this massive amount of investment, um, which looks certain to be given the green light by the Premier League as things stand. Um, he's the type of player that I'm sure he was linked with Tottenham all that long ago. Do you think that might be the kind of like marquee signing if he were to make one? That he would maybe go for um, if he were Newcastle United manager. Coutinho was one of the players that he wanted to bring into Tottenham um, last summer and, and, and wasn't able to. Um, and you know how much frustration he felt after that. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, I, I know that that was a player that he wanted to bring in. He was um, among a, a few players of that kind of um, yeah number ten um, playmaking sort of player. I mean, obviously they ended up signing Giovanni Lo Celso. Uh, Bruno Fernandes was another one that they were very very interested at that time. So those are sort of the three players that he wanted to to look at getting at least one of um, last summer. So it's, I think it's natural that, that while Pochettino is being linked with Newcastle, that Coutinho would also be linked with um, with them as well. Um, now his situation particularly is that um, you know Barcelona want to move him out. They want to move him off the wage bill. It hasn't worked worked for him there. Has a word from at Bayern Munich either, so he's you know he's on the market. And finally, um, Tottenham fans, how do you think they would feel seeing Pochettino in the opposition opposition dugout somewhere else in the Premier League? 
Yeah, well, I think um, a lot of them would be very sad, first and foremost. I mean, there's, there still seems to be a, a, a split between Tottenham fans at the moment. If you, you, know, if you gauge things uh, on social media between the Pochettino faithful um, that would still love him back at any point or, or those that are now buying into the Mourinho period. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's still a huge affection, I think, for Pochettino among Tottenham fans. I think there will be for many, many years um, you know, because of what he did and what he built for, for the club. Um, and, you know, the memories that he, he gave all the supporters, which are some of the best in, in Tottenham's history. So, I also think there's there's a, there's a big love for his character as well. I mean, he's, he's you know he's he's got a tremendous personality and and, and character, um, Pochettino. You know, at least at least that he conveys in 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 public on the surface. Um, so that, for that reason as well, there's a lot of warmth towards him from Tottenham fans. But I think perhaps a certain section of them would also be quite philosophical and perhaps wish him all the best um, wherever he was next, as long as that wasn't a close rival like a Chelsea or an Arsenal. Um, so yeah, but then it would really depend again. I think on what would happen from the, from that point on. If he if he was to become the Newcastle manager, you know, frustration would would uh, would almost inevitably build if he was to become more successful at Newcastle than he was at Spurs. Um, and certainly, if that was at the cost of Spurs' own success, um, I think it, a lot of it would depend on that really as to which way the two clubs were going. Mm-hmm. 